the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City, WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. And they will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will wreathe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Isaiah 26 Verse 17, as the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth, she wreathes and cries out in her labor pains, thus were we before you, O Lord. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 31, the prophet says, speaking of Judah's devastation, he says, for I heard a cry as of a woman in labor, the anguish as of one giving birth to her first child, the cry of the daughter of Zion gasping for breath, stretching out her hands saying, ah, woe is me for I faint before murderers. In Jeremiah 22, verse 23, the prophet said, how will you groan when pangs uh, come upon you, pain like a woman in childbirth? Micah 4.9 says agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth. looking for warm fuzzies today. I'm sorry, but we are all out. This is Verse by Verse, and we are in the early stages of a series of messages titled, Birth Pains for the Kingdom. The imagery Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Micah have used is, um, hmm, shall we say, vivid? It certainly grabs our attention. Normally, when we think of the birth of a child, we look past all the painful parts especially if we are the men, and and just focus on the joy of the birth. It seems to me we will be concentrating on the painful parts in today's program. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue to expound the scriptures as we look ahead to the last days, whenever they may be. Despite these painful times that are in the future, there is a glorious end that we can anticipate. I will not rob any of the thunder that Pastor Steve has for us today. Let's just jump into the program. Here is Pastor Steve. I can't think of anything more exciting than the birth of a child. The birth of a child is just such a wonderful event. It it can hardly be described in words. But as every woman who has ever given birth to a child knows, the hours leading up to the delivery are not particularly wonderful. They are excruciatingly painful and very, very difficult. And uh, we can all blame Adam and Eve for this because that's part of the the curse of the fall. It began with Adam and Eve when they fell because in Genesis 3.16, God said to Eve as part of the results and consequences and curse of the fall, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. 
And it's because labor pains and, and the delivery of a child are so intense and uh, so painful that Bible writers often refer to the imagery of a woman giving birth or in labor pains to, to describe intense suffering. That imagery is found throughout the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. For instance, and you don't need to turn to these verses. If you want, you can mark them down, but we're going to move through this quickly. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 8 says this, speaking of Babylon's judgment. And they will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will wreathe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Isaiah 26, verse 17. As the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth, she wreathes and cries out in her labor pains, Thus were we before you, O Lord. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 31, the prophet says, speaking of Judah's devastation, he says, For I heard a cry as of a woman in labor, the anguish as of one giving birth to her first child, the cry of the daughter of Zion gasping for breath, stretching out her hands, saying, Ah, woe is me, for I faint before murderers. In Jeremiah 22, verse 23, the prophet said, How will you groan when pangs uh, come upon you, pain like a woman in childbirth? Micah 4.9 says agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth. Now, let me just remind you of those words that they use to describe this pain. Vivid words that express the pain of a woman in labor. The prophets use the word terrified, anguish, wreathing, gasping for breath, pangs, crying out, agony. Sort of gives you a warm feeling, doesn't it? Um, Nowadays, an expectant mother can attend classes on the proper techniques of breathing that are designed to help you through labor. But as every woman knows, that uh, you can never really prepare for that, for that pain. And you say, how do you know so much about this? I was there. I saw the pain on my wife's uh, face and, and in her eyes. And uh, I knew she had mean thoughts about me towards the end. I knew that. I knew that. Uh, I was the guy with the camera. You know, the happy guy taking pictures. And I really, I was so nervous. Uh, we went through these classes, and uh, I think I forgot everything. We got in the delivery room for our firstborn, and uh, I'm sure the nurse uh, said, uh, hold, her, hold her down instead of hold her up. Or what was it? Was it the opposite? I never did get that straight. Whatever she said, I did just the opposite, and she yelled at me. She said, didn't you go through the classes? Yes, but uh, you can never really prepare for that. Plus, I, I, I did things wrong with putting, they have these cover for the shoes. Whatever I did, I wasn't supposed to do. And uh, it can be, you know, a nerve-wracking time. But I was there. And while I didn't experience the pain, I, I knew something of the, the agony that my wife was in. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus used the concept of labor pains to describe suffering that is, is so intense that nothing else can compare to, with it. He said that. In Mark chapter 13, verse 19, Jesus said this, For those days will be a time of tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of creation, which God created until now, and never shall be. In other words, he says that there's coming a period of time where there will be unparalleled suffering. Suffering that has never been before, and suffering that will never be again. We call this period of time the tribulation period. And I'd like you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Because in Mark chapter 13, Mark records our Lord's teaching about what this time period will be like. 
Matthew 24 perhaps gives the most, uh, uh, the, the fullest explanation. Luke chapter 21 combines a near and, and far fulfillment, as Jesus also spoke of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But Mark chapter 13 is so, so helpful. In fact, you really can't understand prophecy uh, without a grasp of Mark 13 or the parallel passages. We call it the Olivet Discourse because Jesus gave this discourse on the Mount of Olives. That's the only reason it's called the Olivet Discourse. It has nothing to do with olives except he was on that mountain that's called the Mount of Olives. And uh, let's read verses 1 through 8. And as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. And here's their question. And this opens up the, Mount, the uh, Olivet Discourse. Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? Now, before I continue reading, their question was this. We know that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. You said that. When will these things happen? Now, they didn't understand that Jesus specifically at that point was referring to Jerusalem being destroyed in 70 AD. They assumed that the destruction of Jerusalem meant the end of this age and the coming of Messiah. So they are mistaken somewhat in their, in their understanding of prophecy. But their question is really this, when is the end? When are you coming back? When are you going to establish your kingdom? I don't think they meant when are you coming back in the sense of going away and coming back because they didn't grasp that. When are you coming in the sense of the fullness of your kingdom? That's their question. When's the end of this age? And so in their ignorance, though they were ignorant somewhat, uh, Jesus took this opportunity to explain the signs or the birth pangs that will lead up to the coming of the kingdom and his return. Verse 5, Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened, for these things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places and there will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. So in response to a couple of questions about the end of the age, the coming of the Messianic kingdom, Jesus likened it to the labor pains of a woman. Actually, the initial labor pains of a woman, if you notice verse 8, uh, these are merely the beginnings of birth pangs. These, what we're about to study this morning, this isn't even the rough stuff in comparison. So in other words, the initial sufferings that will take place in the tribulation are like the initial birth pains of a woman in labor. They come suddenly, they build up, gradually increase in frequency and intensity, and finally, at the end, that excruciating pain and you give birth to a child. In this sense, the birth pangs and sufferings and the tribulation will start suddenly, build up gradually, increase in frequency and intensity, and finally give birth to the kingdom as Jesus returns to establish the Messianic age. I'm using birth pains in the same way as I would use signs. These are signs. When believers, and we will not be here, if you know Jesus Christ, you will be raptured before this ever takes place, before the tribulation begins. But those living in this time period will, will be able to see these signs and know that his coming is not far 
off. They won't know when exactly. They won't know the day or the hour. Jesus will go on to say in this section of Scripture, but they can know that it's getting closer, very close, in fact. They'll know that it isn't far off. These signs have to occur just before he sets up his kingdom. So Mark gives us a number of signs of Christ's coming. And this morning we're going to look at, at, at three birth pains or signs of, our, of the coming kingdom and, uh, and signs in the tribulation. This, I take it, verses 5 through 8, deal with the first half of the tribulation period. I'll explain that in weeks to come, why we believe it's seven years, and we divide it into two halves. This will be the first three and a half years, and the reason I say that without explaining now why we believe it's seven years is because Jesus said this is merely the beginning of birth pains, just the beginning. So I take it that this is in the first half. There are three initial birth pains. First one, the first birth pain is in the form of counterfeit messiahs. This is what believers can expect initially at the beginning of the tribulation period. Counterfeit messiahs. Let's begin by looking at verse 5. And Jesus began to say to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Now the first thing that Jesus does is he warns his disciples about deception. Deception, being misled. He calls them to keep their eyes wide open, to beware, to, to, to be open concerning those who will mislead them. Now let me stop here for a moment and explain something. It may puzzle you as to why is Jesus addressing his first century disciples as if they need to keep their eyes open about being misled. When the first century disciples will not experience the tribulation, they died 2,000 years ago. Why then is Jesus speaking to them if the Olivet Discourse is for the tribulation saints? Why is Christ telling them then how to handle it? Well, let me explain something that, that might be very helpful. While Jesus specifically was addressing his present disciples, his warning is really for those who will endure the tribulation, believers in the tribulation. Uh, not the church, but those who come to Christ after the church is raptured in the tribulation. Th this is not uncommon in Scripture. It may be uncommon in our way of thinking, but this is not uncommon in Scripture. Uh, it is not uncommon for someone to speak to a specific group of people, but the message is really directed for a future generation. The prophets did this all the time. They spoke to, to Israel about the coming Messianic age, but the Messianic age wasn't for many, many years in the future. But they spoke to them as, as if they're the ones who need to hear this, but in reality, it was not their generation that was addressed but a future generation that was addressed. So this is a, a common uh, literary technique and device and teaching tool in Scripture. So don't let that throw you. Don't let that uh, bother you. Jesus addressed his disciples, but what he's saying here really is, is specifically applicable for tribulation believers. Now let's get back to the text. He says, during the tribulation, Jewish believers, and that's the whole context, there will be Gentile believers, but he is addressing Jewish believers. Jewish believers will need to be careful not to be deceived. They'll be prone to deception. There'll be people out there who want to deceive them, and Jesus explains that in verse 6. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. Many will come in my name and say, I am he. I am who? I am Messiah. Matthew chapter 24 says this. Uh, in fact, it clarifies this. Matthew 24, verse 5. For many will come in my name saying, and here's what they're specifically going to say. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. Many will come at that time saying, I am the Messiah. 
mislead many. In other words, there'll be many messianic imposters who are going to pop up. They're going to pop up all over the place saying, I'm the Christ. Apparently, it'll be a very religious time period. Isn't that strange? Sort of a paradox. A very wicked time, but a very religious time. And religion really does tend to go with wickedness because religion rejects the truth of the gospel and forms its own kind of belief system. Belief system. Now, I want you to realize that some people are going to believe them and follow these messianic frauds because that's what the end of verse 6 says. And will mislead many. Do you know that since the time of Jesus, there have been 64 messianic imposters who've come to the Jewish people and said, we're the Messiah, and some have followed them. Israel and the Jewish people have a history of many false messiahs. Jesus said that in John chapter 5, verse 43. He said, I've come in my Father's name and you reject me. But if another comes in, in his name, you'll accept him. Israel has generally been very open to messianic imposters. Some in the tribulation are going to follow these messianic frauds, these counterfeit messiahs. And the question is, but are they genuine believers? If they follow them, no. No, they're not. Not if they follow them for a sustained period of time. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2. This is a very important principle in Scripture. It's for our day and age, but it is an eternal principle. What about those who, who follow cults and, and profess to know Christ, but have gone following some kind of a cult that is deviated from the truth of the gospel? Are they genuine believers? No. They're not. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, and he is, by the way, the ultimate false Christ. Anti, not just against Christ, but in the place of Christ. In the tribulation, there'll be, one, there'll be a world ruler called Antichrist. We call him that. The Bible also calls him the beast. We won't study about him yet. But John says, you know it's the last hour, And you've heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have arisen. It's a spirit, an age of Antichrist, and many false teachers have arisen. From this, we know that it's the last hour. When you see more demonic activity, you know you're getting closer to the end time, he says. Uh, Verse 19, they went out from us. Certain people left their fellowship, he says. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. Certain people were in their fellowship, but they left their fellowship. And he says, they weren't really a part of us. For if they had been of us, if they had really been one in Christ, they would have remained with us. They would have stayed with us. They would have continued in the faith. But they went out. Why did they go out? Well, from God's perspective, in order that it might be shown that they are not of us. They are not all of us. John says, hey, true believers persevere in the faith. True believers continue. True believers do not abandon the faith. Now, there are people who are genuine believers who for a time have been deceived, but eventually they wake up. But if somebody goes into a false kind of teaching and a cult, and I mean a serious deviation, heresy, from the uh, true biblical message and gospel, they are not believers. And so I take this that during the tribulation time period, Those counterfeit messiahs will deceive some who were not real believers, but they were those who professed to know Christ, hung around with believers, identified with believers, but when someone came down the pike with a false teaching, they abandoned the truth because they were not really united with the truth. Now, the question that we need to ask, and I think it's a valid one, is why during the tribulation period will there be so many false messiahs 
why will there be so many counterfeit Christs? And, and why will people be so attracted to them? What is it that they'll have? And what will the situation be that it will be so attractive? I think there are basically two reasons why people will run after these counterfeit messiahs. Notice Mark chapter 13, verse 21. And then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he's there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show, watch this, signs and wonders in order, if possible, to lead the elect astray. Now, it is not possible to lead the elect astray. It is not possible that God's true children will be led astray. But others will be led astray, and you know why? Well, this verse says, because they'll have the supernatural ability to perform signs and wonders and miraculous events and miraculous things. Satan will empower them. The Antichrist, who is the ultimate counterfeit Messiah, will be empowered by Satan. He'll be able to do incredible things. But this verse says not just Antichrist, it says that many, many counterfeit Messiahs, they'll be... Uh, supernatural things and people will be impressed by that. They'll say, certainly this is of God because if it wasn't of God, then they wouldn't be able to do this kind of stuff. Be very careful about the supernatural. Just because something smacks of the supernatural does not mean that it's of God. You don't evaluate it by the spectacular. You evaluate it based on the word of God. You don't have to be in the tribulation period to, to be deceived by those who can do supernatural things. Satan can do all kinds of supernatural things. That never makes it valid. If it's based on scripture, then you know it's, it's valid. So people are going to be very, uh, uh, very interested in the supernatural. I think there's a second reason why people will be so attracted and misled by these counterfeit messiahs. People are going to be very vulnerable at this time period. They're going to be looking for answers to some really serious problems that they'll have and, and problems that will be going on. They'll be open to anyone who claims to have an answer. You see, this is a time period unlike any other time period. Their world will be falling apart. Literally, the world will be falling apart. We'll look at that a little bit later. It, it'll be a frightening time, and the church won't be around to influence the world. We do have an influence. Your very presence is an influence. Restraints will be, restraints will be gone, and, and sin will go unchecked. The Holy Spirit, I believe, will be here, but not in the same ministry and way that he's here today. The Spirit of God is omnipresent. He's always here. But not in the same way because uh, his ministry in the church, and he indwells us, the church will be gone. So in a sense, there'll be a, the restraints lifted off and the spirit of God's ministry is different. And it'll be a very frightening time. Uh, we're going to look at this in a few minutes, but verses 7 and 8 said, says uh, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. A nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Earthquakes, famines. Uh, Luke says there'll be pestilence or plagues, terrors, great signs from the heavens, and people will say, what's going on? And they're going to want to know, what, what can they do to find some kind of peace, and what's the answer? Is this the age of Aquarius or some other New Age kind of, kind of language they'll use, and things like that. And so they're going to go after those who they'll think, who they think will be able to give them an answer. And who better than to speak to than those who can do supernatural signs? Now listen, we aren't in the tribulation period, but we are always susceptible to false teachers and, and teaching which claims to have answers for our problems. Be very careful when teaching is based on here and now. Now the Bible is very practical, and there's no question about that. The Bible does have answers for today's problems, but that's not the primary thrust of the scriptures. The primary thrust of the scriptures is to deal with eternal issues. 
And our basic need is not to find uh, our problems answered for today. Our basic need is to, is to find our eternal salvation in Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins. You know, the forgiveness of, of sins and eternal life that's found only in Jesus Christ, not just how am I going to make it through the day. Be very careful of men and women of charisma and charm. There are evangelicals who are duped by people who speak well and look good and they are on television and they are in pulpits and they are speaking on the radio and, well, you can't see them on the radio, but they sound good. They are deep voices and, and that's fine, but don't be duped by charisma and charm. After listening to today's teaching, I'd have to say the tribulation period is well-named. However, I love the practicality and the biblical basis for Pastor Steve's teaching. Did you notice how he wrapped up today's program? Here are three things I noticed. Be careful of false teachers who claim to have the answers to all of our problems. Be very careful when teaching is based on the here and now. Because, number three, the main thrust of the Bible deals with eternal issues. Those are all important to remember as we look at the world around us. Eternity is coming, and most are not prepared for it. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. The title of our study is Birth Pains for the Kingdom, and we will continue next time on Verse by Verse when Pastor Steve will continue with the thought of eternity and how important it is to be prepared. Not just you and me being prepared, but us helping others to be prepared. I hope to see you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.